Hey, church, it's good to see you guys today. Thanks so much for showing up. Man, we are uh, starting a brand new series today entitled Unbelievable. Everybody say that with me. Unbelievable. It's, it's in how you say it that makes the difference. It's not unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Because some of you, man, here's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks is I believe that God wants us, wants you, wants me to have and live an unbelievable life. Now, when we talk about unbelievable, some of you might already feel like you're living an unbelievable life, but you're saying it kind of the way we shouldn't say it. You're like, yeah, my life is already unbelievable, right? It's all in how you say it. There was, uh, I was up this past, uh, past Christmas. My wife and I, our kids were up in Ohio spending time with family, and I always go to church when I'm on vacation. I'm not like some of you. I don't lay out on vacation. I love me some Jesus all the time, not just at church. Anyway, so we went to church, and we're walking in. It was just a deluge. Man, it was raining, and so I dropped my wife off at the door because I'm a perfect gentleman, and my kids, and I went and parked the car. Come on, I'm getting points here. Help me out, please. And uh, so I grabbed an umbrella, and I walked to the door, and it's just pouring down rain, and I got the umbrella, I walked to the door, and just when I get under the overhang, I take my umbrella, and some of you don't do this, you need to do this, and I would get the rain off it, so like you pull it in and out, you ever do it? Because that's the noise it makes. And I popped it off and I walk in. What I didn't realize, as soon as I did that, there was a lady walking beside me that tried to get around me. I soaked her. And I felt so bad. I'm like, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. And this is what she said, true. She didn't even know. She's like, unbelievable. (laughs) So some of you, (laughs) when I talk about an unbelievable life, some of you are like, yeah, pastor, I'm already there. I don't need four or five messages. Like, I'm already living an unbelievable life. I'm talking about unbelievable When I say unbelievable, here's what we want to talk about for the next few weeks is is that you can have an unbelievable life if you're willing to live it in an unbelievable way, which means it's not automatic, which means that there are some things that I believe that God wants to do in your life, through your life, and for your life, but you have to be a willing participant. And it all rests on this word, if. Everybody say if. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. Read it with me. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich in satisfying life. Now, if you've been in church, it's easy, to, it's easy to kind of church that up and think it's just kind of about this spiritual thing. Listen, I want you to know that this is what Jesus declared for us. He said, hey, the reason I'm here, the reason I showed up, the reason I left heaven, the reason I came to earth is to give people a rich and satisfying life. Now, some other translations say it like this, that he came to give us life to the full or life and life more abundantly. Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't just, didn't just come to die to get you to heaven, that one day I would impact your eternity. Jesus said, I came and I died to impact who you are and where you are right now, to give you an unbelievable life. And so for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about the if. Everybody say the if. You can have an unbelievable life if you're willing to live it in an unbelievable way. Today I want to talk about, as we jump into this series, something that I want to say is uh, unbelievable. It's unbelievable worship. Unbelievable worship. Now, worship is one of those words. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't start going to church till I was almost 18 years old. Found Christ when I was 17. And uh, so I'm just going to tell you, I used a lot of words before I came to church. Worship was not one of them. Right? I mean, worship is a very churchy word. You don't ever use that word unless you're talking about church or you're in church or you're about to go to church. But it's profound and, man, it's so significant in kind of who we are in our spiritual journey. And I believe it's key, it's key that if we're going to really see an unbelievable life, we have to live in unbelievable worship. But a lot of us, man, we don't even have really an idea what worship is. A lot of us, we think that worship is what the team is doing up here. And the worship, listen, I just want to let you in on something. They're leading 
us to follow them into worship. A lot of us, we think worship, someone is worshiping if they're doing more than we are. We are a multi-denominational church, which means we have people from every kind of spiritual background, some no spiritual background attending, and we're glad no matter where you're from, really no matter what you believe, we're glad you're here. And our prayer is that in our time together that God would do something profound in your life and rock your world and you would find Christ and get on a spiritual journey that will change you now and forever. But depending on where you're from, you kind of have a different idea of what worship is, right? In a multi-denominational church, we know we have some Church of Christ people here, and some of you aren't even sure if we're going to heaven because we have instruments, and, and that's okay. And some of you are Baptists and you're like, they worship there. I'm not really sure if they need the electric guitar, but we're in. Some of you are like so next level. You're like waiting for us to catch up to you. And we will one day. But worship, a lot of times we think someone is worshiping if they're doing more than we are, which means, and some of you do this, if you stand with, during worship with your hands behind your back, if someone's singing, they're a worshiper. If you sing, but someone else is clapping, they're a worshiper. If you clap, but someone else is jumping, they're a worshiper. We think someone who's doing more than us is a worshiper, unless they're doing a whole lot more, then they're just weird. Yeah. Right? It's like, that's a worshiper. They're weird. And here's the thing. Listen, I just want you to know this out of the gate, that, that what worship is is so much more. Listen to this. Worship is more than the song we sing. It's the life that we live. It's more than the song we sing. It's the life that we live. And if I can just engage you for the next 20 minutes or so and pull you into some things, I believe that if you'll walk this out, that God will start to do something really profound and escort you into an unbelievable life if you're willing to live it in an unbelievable way. Jesus, Jesus chimes in and kind of gives us some really key thoughts right out of the gate on what worship is and what it's not. And he says this, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, now stop. He's talking to this woman. This woman, she's a Samaritan woman. She's from a different part of town. She's from the other side of the tracks, and she worshiped God kind of her way. Jesus, being a Jew, was raised up that Jewish people, you worship God uh, at the mount. You worship God at the temple. That's the center of, of worship, and you do it a prescribed time in a prescribed way. And Jesus says this, and this is so key. He's like, hey, a lot of you believe the same thing, that you believe that worship is about a special song at a special place at a special time. A lot of us, we think that, 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 that worship is a chorus at church, that you sing on Sunday, and that's what worship is. Jesus says, hey, it's no longer, everybody say that, no longer, it's no longer, the place doesn't matter. Which means if you're going to be a worshiper, you got to realize that worship isn't about singing for a few songs on Sunday, about singing about Jesus on Sunday and singing some Beyonce on Monday. It's about singing and celebrating and declaring and living and knowing who the God is that you serve. That's huge. That's huge. And he goes on, he says this, he says, hey, listen, I want you to know this. It is no longer about that. And he goes on, next verse. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here Everybody say now. Now, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, okay, okay, for a lot of you that you grew up in church or your idea of God is that God is in a box and you go to a place to find him and while you're there, you maybe sing to him or clap to him or lift your hands to him and then, then you go back to your life and you leave God here and come back here on Sunday. He says, listen, it's, it's no longer that. 
Jesus came to engage us in a relationship with our Father, with the Creator and the creation, that He is with us and in us wherever we are, which means you don't worship by God in a song on Sunday. You can celebrate the Savior at work. You can celebrate Him in the shower. You can celebrate Him in the car. He is with us 24-7, 365, and we honor Him and celebrate Him all the time if we're living in unbelievable worship. And he says this, he says, hey, listen, he says, hey, I want you to be a true worshiper. Now, don't be offended at this. Don't be offended. And and I'm not here to say, like, we're not going to narrow it down and be like, this group, you're not, and you are. But notice, he says, hey, if there are true worshipers, that means that there are false worshipers. And I think a false worshiper, really what he's saying is, hey, if you got it nailed down to a time and a place, you're missing the big picture. Because he says, hey, what I want is I want people that are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. When he says in spirit and in truth, this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, your worship, again, that ought to be bigger than a location and a time. When it's in spirit, that means it's, it's not out of kind of ritual. It's not out of rote. He's saying it ought to be out of the guts of who you are. When he says, he says God's looking for people to worship out of their spirit, out of their guts, out of the center of who they are, out of their passion, that it's not this thing that you have to do, like you get to love God passionately. Again, a great definition of worship, a great definition of worship is this, that worship is ultimately to deeply love and respect somebody or something. God wants you to deeply love him and respect him. Not at church, not play games at church, but everywhere you go. He says not just in spirit, not just out of who you are, but he says in truth. When he says in truth, he's saying, hey, there, that sometimes there are people who have an idea of God that's not legit, it's not true. That if we're going to worship God in spirit, we have to do it out of who we are to who he is. That we got to get a picture, a true picture of God. I want you to know that the, the true picture we get from God comes from his word. That we get that he is loving and he is powerful and that he is, has it all together all the time. He's never out of control. He's always in control. When things don't make sense, God is still a loving father. He is a good God full of grace, mercy, righteousness, justice, and power. He is everything and all things to all people at all times. That's truth. And so he says, this is what worship is. Worship is worshiping God out of who we are to totally who he is. Not a time and a place to an idol, but our guts to God's glory. Really pouring out who he is. Worship is kind of, again, it's this churchy word. Here's where we kind of got it from, at least in our language, in the English language. It comes from in like the 15 and 1600s where rich English lords when they had a lot of authority, a lot of money, a lot of power, people would call them your worship. My, my wife actually calls me this in our home. Your, your worship, your slippers are ready. Don't you, honey? Tell them. Tell them. Anyway, so, so <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't really. Your worship. What, what they were saying, when somebody looked at somebody and gave them kind of the honor of saying your worship, what they were saying is you're, you, you're, worth, you're worth money. You have worth, you have value, you have significance. And so that term, that word worship, eventually evolved evolved into our word worship, which means when you worship God, y'all got to get this, when we worship God, what we're doing is we're acknowledging and we're declaring and we're saying that God has worth. He is valuable to us. In fact, he's more valuable than anything else we have. He's valuable. A great way to talk about this, I think, is if some of you here have ever bought a new car before, probably this is true with anything new. Anybody here ever buy a new car before? When you get a new car, all of a sudden you got a new set of rules about who can get in your car, 
You better knock your, you better knock your shoes. You better go get a carpet and wipe your feet. You can't eat in the car. You know, don't touch it. Don't touch the radio. In fact, don't even talk in my car. It's new. We don't want you inhaling the new smell and taking it with you. Just leave it in here. And we park it real far out so nobody touches it. I got a confession to make. When I see somebody park in the middle of two spots, it makes me want to key your car. I don't, but it makes me want to do that. But right, it's all, because why? Because we just bought this new car and it's worth something and we take care of it and we're careful with it. We have all these rules, right, and stipulations. I want you to know something, the same way that all of a sudden that car starts to guide how you think because it's worth something to you. Listen to me, when you see God as worthy, all of a sudden it starts to shape who you are and how you think because we see God not on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday. We see God as having worth and value than anything else in this world. He is worthy. Everybody say worthy. He's worthy. And so for a few minutes, I want to talk about a story. It's one of these stories that it's kind of crazy. In, in fact, it, it's, it's, it's kind of the story that you read if you're, if you're suffering and you're going through things, trying to figure life out. It's kind of the go-to story. It's a story of a guy named Job. That's what I thought his name was until I was in church long enough and found out it was Job. I can't help it he misspelled his name. That's not my fault. So Job, Job is this guy. Let me just kind of lay this down. It opens up chapter one. If you've never read the book, I'd encourage you to read it. If you just get just the first two chapters, they're crazy. Open it up. Job chapter one is this story. The Bible says that God assembles the angels. So he pulls them in and he kind of wants a weekly report on kind of what's happening. And because Satan is a fallen angel who was Lucifer, he shows up. Like he thinks he's still invited to the party. He shows up and, and God acknowledges him. And they get in a conversation and it's recorded in the book of Job. And they're having this conversation and, and uh, he says, hey, uh, hey, Satan, where, where you been? He says, hey, I've been all over the earth. I've kind of been putting my eye on people. And I love this because notice what God says to Satan in the middle of this conversation in Job chapter 1. He says, then the Lord asked Satan, hey, have you noticed my servant Job? He's like, there's a lot of people on planet earth, but have you noticed Job? Well, what's so noticeable about him? Check it out. This is God's estimation of Job. I love it. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. How many people would like for God to talk about you that way? I mean, man, what a, what a resume. And God's like reading it off. He's like, man, you, you got a Job. Job is legit. He's stand up. He's a solid guy, man. He, he follows me. He loves me, man. He's, he's for real. But notice what Satan says. I love this. Verse 9. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. He's like, Yeah, God, Job loves you, but there's a reason he loves you. What's the reason? Verse 10. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look, everybody say that, look at how rich he is. You know what Satan is saying? Satan is saying, Job doesn't have unbelievable worship. Job has, it's believable. It's easy to worship God when your bills are paid. It's easy to worship God when you found the person of your dreams. It's easy to worship God when you just graduated, got a degree, and got a job. It's easy. He's like, he's like come on, God. He's got everything going for him. It's, it's very believable that he's going to worship you, right? It's like if, somebody, if someone here, and nobody did, or if you did, you all didn't tithe yet, and I'm waiting on it. When the big lottery a couple weeks ago, listen, if you win $2 billion, you're going to be a worshiper, you're coming into the house of God, you hang, hallelujah. Like you're running, taking laps around the church. If you get $2 billion, you're going to love some Jesus. Am I right? This is what he's saying. He's like, come on, God, are you for real? Job only loves you because he's blessed. 
He only loves you because everything's together. He only loves you because his life makes sense. See, worship isn't a response when everything works out. Worship is a response from our guts in spite of whatever happens in our life. Notice what, sa- what he says here, verse 11. It's so, so huge. <laughs> he's, like, say, he's like, God, do this. But reach out and take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. He's like, he's only worshiping me because he's blessed. Take everything he has, and we'll see what kind of worshiper he is. Take all his stuff, and we'll see kind of what kind of worshiper he is. And, and here's, here's the reason. Is I want you to know something. A lot of us, the reason we don't have unbelievable worship, we're very believable. We worship on Sunday during the church hour if everything worked out and we like the song they're singing. And then we're all in. If it's a song we don't like, if somebody cut us off in the parking lot, we told them they're number one, we don't worship. If, right, if we got laid off on Friday, if our girlfriend broke up with us the week before, if our dog died, we're not worshiping. He said, listen, he said, take everything he has, we'll see what kind of worshiper he is. I want you to know something, that worship is not about you and it's not about your stuff. Worship is about God. It's about who he is. It's about what he's done. It's about him and his stuff, not us and our stuff. It is about God. And he's saying, listen, I want you to know something. Listen, so many of us in this room as Christians in America, we worship our stuff. You say, how can you say that? Here's why. It's because we worship God when all of the circumstances are right. But if you don't worship God, hear me, when everything is falling apart, then something maybe is wrong. Here's why I know is because circumstances change, but God doesn't. Which means if you're worshiping God just when your circumstances are up and down, you're changing based on kind of what's going on in your life, you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping your stuff. But God says this to me, when you worship me because I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God says, I never change. When life isn't good, I'm still good. When you're going through hell on earth, I haven't changed. And so what worship is is saying, God, I'm going to pull in, not just Sunday at church, but in every moment, in every circumstance, in every day of life, God, I'm going to declare that you are worthy, that you have value that's bigger than the circumstance that I'm in. Check it out. All right, I love it. You may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want. Isn't that scary? He tells him, he says, go ahead and test him. Y'all got to get this because I want you to know something. When life is not going the way that you planned, it's a test. When things are falling around and it didn't meet your agenda, your plan, your 10-point new new year kind of outline of what you were going to plan to do and execute and walk out, when things don't go the way you thought, it's only a test. It's a test to see, are you going to worship God in spite of circumstances? It's a test to see, are you going to keep your eyes on Christ and off of your circumstances? We get lost in depression and anxiety when we see circumstances. But when we see Christ in the middle of chaos, we get lifted up where he is. And so it's this huge scene that says, hey, it's only a test. Go back to verse 11. I want you to see just one more thing here. He says, but reach out. I love this because see... If you don't have Jesus, you just, I hope you find Christ. But if you don't, if, if someone doesn't have Christ, you just can't explain it to them. Satan, he does not have a relationship, obviously, with Jesus. Here's why, because he doesn't understand. He thinks you can lose something you can never lose. He tells God, hey, go ahead and take everything away from him. 
I'm telling you, if you lose everything in this world, you never lose really what matters most. You can lose marriages, you can lose jobs, you can lose cars, you can lose health, you can lose everything there is, but you cannot lose, lose God's grace, you cannot lose God's love, you cannot lose God's presence. There is nothing in hell or on earth that can take the things that matter most in this world. And what we do in the middle of that, when everything else is falling down around us, that's what worship is, is I still have Christ. I still got him and he still has me. And so he's like, hey, try to take everything, but you can never take what matters most. And so here's where the story picks up, right? So Job, man, he's living his life. Everything's perfect. He wakes up one morning, man, kicks his fluffy slippers on, puts a robe on, walks to his curry, hits, the, hits kind of the double latte button. He's filling up. All of a sudden, one of his servants busts into the house. <laughs> he's sweating. He's like, he's like Job, You'll never believe what happened, man. He's like, we were out watching your oxen and your servants because he had, he had thousands of oxen. It was kind of a, a picture of his wealth. And he's like, we were out there. All of a sudden, the Sabians, this group of people, man, came in and they took all your oxen. They killed all your servants, man. They're gone. And Job's like, man, that's... He's like, but, but I, I still got my donkeys, right? Everything's good there. Still got my sheep, right? He's like, yeah, you still got your sheep. All of a sudden, another servant kind of on the heels busts in. He's like, Job, you're never going to believe what happened. It doesn't even make sense. It's like on the 5 o'clock news, right? He's like, we were out there, your servants and I, we were out there with your sheep. All of a sudden, fire fell from heaven and like burn up all your sheep. It was crazy. He said, and everybody died and you lost all your sheep. I'm the only one that escaped to come tell you. And Job's like, oh my goodness. Like the stock market is crashing around him. And he's like, but I still got my camels, right? I mean, he's like, I got my camels. And he doesn't even get that out of his mouth. And a third servant busts in. Like, this is back-to-back-to-back chaos and tragedy. He says, Job, you're never going to believe it, man. But the Chaldeans came in and they took all of your herd of camel. And, man, you're gone. All of a sudden, Job realizes that he's broke. All his wealth is gone. And he says this. He's like, hey, you know what? Like, I can replace stuff. As long as I got my family. My family's good. Like, he doesn't get that thought out of his mind. And a fourth servant breaks in. He says, Job, you're never going to believe it. Your sons and daughters, they were hanging out together. They were having a meal together. And man, all of a sudden this wind came up out of the forest. We don't even know what happened. And it blew the house down and killed all of your sons and daughters. What would you do if you lost everything? What would you do if you lost your job and your family and everything you considered important in this world? A church person would probably skip church. If you're really committed, you might show up and you may be just saying, but to have an unbelievable life, you got to walk in unbelievable worship. Notice what Job does. This is crazy. Verse 20, he says, Job stood up in the middle of these stories, in the middle of these reports, he stood up and he tore his robe in grief. And then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground in worship. I want you to know something. It's okay to hate life, but in the middle of hating life, you got to still love God because God is bigger than the circumstances. He's bigger than the situation. He's bigger than the chaos. Here's what word declares that God, even in the middle of our chaos, God is working things together for our good. God causes all things to work together for those who love God, for those who worship God and are not called. Come on. This, this is, this is the promise. That if you're an unbelievable worship, which means, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, out of my guts, out of my worship, it's going to be bigger than songs. It's not the song we sing, it's the life we live. 
It's not the song we sing, it's the life we live. That God, in the middle of life, I'm going to love you, I'm going to see you as bigger than, I'm going to worship you no matter what. That's not easy. But here's the thing about worship, a couple of things real quick that we got to get, is that worship is a weapon. Do y'all ever get that? Like, worship is a weapon, here's why. Because a lot of us in this room, you may not suffer with it, but everybody in this room, we've struggled with depression, anxiety, fear. Every one of us in this room have felt insufficient, overwhelmed, not enough. And when you feel that way, man, it's so easy to go through life with your head down and just kind of can't get out of bed in the morning. I want you to know worship is a weapon. Say that. Worship is a weapon. Say that. Worship is a weapon. Because what worship does, it takes your eyes off of your circumstances and puts them on Christ. And one of the titles in the Old Testament of who God is is that he's El Shaddai. Y'all just got to say that. El Shaddai. You just spoke Hebrew and didn't even know it. El Shaddai means that he is the all-sufficient one, which means when I'm broke, he's not. When I'm lost, he's not. When I don't have enough, he has enough. He's my joy, my peace, my strength, my righteousness, my hope, my provider, my healer. He is everything that I need. And as long as I got him, life is going to be okay. That's what a worshiper does is a worshiper sees God. I tell people all the time, this, this is kind of, I have a handful of things I tell people, and this is one of my go-to. If you're getting ready to make a big decision in life, just know that God sent you there. You just got to know that. When we moved from Akron, Ohio, in that area down here to Florence, Alabama, it was a big move. But I had to know before I put my family in a U-Haul and drove here and almost killed seven people on the way here. God, you called us to Florence, Alabama. The board didn't hire us. Church didn't vote us in. God, you sent us to Florence, Alabama. You know why that's important? Because when people are leaving church, when people are upset because you're making changes and singing songs they don't like, when people are mad at you and don't like you, it's not about anything, but I know God said, I want you in Florence, Alabama. When you follow Christ from the center of your guts and your heart, it doesn't matter what everything else is going on around you. Hear me, you can hate life, but love Christ in the middle of it. That's unbelievable worship. So it's a weapon. I'm telling you, if you'll sing... If you don't sing, just mumble it. If you don't mumble it, declare it, speak it, live it. Have an attitude walking through life. Get a pimp about you that God is in control in my life. He's in charge. God's big enough. You got to get some attitude about you. Come on, guys, listen. Either we believe that we serve the God of all creation or we don't. And if we don't serve the God of all creation, let's shut this club down. Let's go get a God who's big enough and let's honor him. But the God we serve is enough. He's enough. One more thing I want you to know, listen, and this is so big about Job, because like, where did Job learn this? Where do you get that kind of attitude and grit from when life is falling down around you? Job, here's another thing about worship. Worship is a great inheritance. Uh, my, my family, um, they're not going to leave us much. <laughs> my parents, blue collar. My wife, blue collar family. The only thing they're leaving us, we're not, you know those families that fight about who gets the stuff? We're not going to be one of those families. We're fighting about who has to take the stuff. I'm not cleaning the basement out. You clean the basement out. I'm not cleaning the garage out. You clean the garage out. Like, we're, there, are, there are no false fantasies that we're getting rich when anybody that I love passes away. But I'm going to tell you something. And the same is true in our life. We, we take care of our finances. We don't have credit card debt. We manage our finances very well. But I'm behind the curve in retirement. So if something happened to me right now, my daughter's like, Dad, I hope you're packing it away. I'm like, listen, you better get a good job or marry someone rich. That's what I'm saying. Because if you're counting on me, you're going to be in bad shape. You're, you're like flipping burgers is what I'm saying. But here's, listen, I may not leave my kids a lot of money. 
But my wife and I, we're going to leave them the greatest inheritance they have. Some this world can't take from them. Some something a stock market crash can't rob them from. See, because here's where Job, where did Job get the grit from? Let me tell you about Job. If, if you're new in church, this won't make sense, but I'll try to explain it. For all you that kind of know a little bit about the Bible, here's Job's lineage. Right, y'all heard of Abraham? Abraham had two brothers. One of his brothers was Nahor. Nahor had a son named Uz, and he had a son named Job. Abraham was Job's great uncle. Which means, Abraham, you know who Abraham is? Abraham is the guy that got all these great promises from God when life didn't make sense, when it was falling down around him. And, and, and Abraham found out, man, God is faithful. I can trust God. When it looks like we can't get pregnant, God said we can get pregnant. We're going to have a kid. And they had kids, and God made them into a great nation. Abraham is who the Bible declares is the father of faith. Like he figured out, I can trust God. God is worthy. And you better believe that his great nephew, Job, took some lessons about what it means to trust God. So I'm going to tell you what, listen, God doesn't show up to people who's not expecting him. And faith and worship is the expectation that God is going to show up in my circumstances. And Job, he said, you know what? It doesn't matter that I lost everything. Because God's bigger than my circumstances. And I'm going to worship him. He's worthy. My circumstances aren't worthy. But he's worthy. And real quick, real quick, listen. Go home and read the end of the book. I'm not going to tell you. Go home and read the end of the book. If you know how it works out, just like read it again. Because if you're not amazed at how big God is, you you are hard to please. But I'm going to read one more thing to you. We're going to close. Listen to this. In Psalm 145, 1 through 7. I want you to just close your eyes. I just want you to hear this. David wrote, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord, and he is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue and I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness and they will sing with joy about your righteousness. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that God in this room, Father, that so many of us are Sunday morning singers, that God, you would put a passion in us, you'd put an idea, a revelation in our guts about who you are. God, you are worthy. You're worthy, and it's bigger than the song we sing. It's bigger than the building we attend. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you're going to make unbelievable worshipers out of every person in this room, that you're going to carry a faith, you're going to carry a passion in you out of this place, that in the middle of life, in the middle of circumstances, on the job, in the shower, in the car, before the meeting, in your family, in everything you do, in every circumstance you're in, that you're going to be a worshiper. And I'm telling you, if you'll unlock the worship in your life, God's going to lead you into an unbelievable life. And so, Father, I pray you do it in every life and in every heart and in every situation. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Amen. Listen, just with your head bowed for just a minute, if you're here today, I want you to know that this all starts, this unbelievable life, it starts with Jesus. See, again, Jesus said, I've come. The reason I'm here, my purpose is to give you life. And so if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, listen, man, I got church, but I don't know if I got Jesus. 
I've got religion, but I don't know if I have Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross of Calvary for our sin. And by that act, what he was saying is that we're all sinners. We've all messed up. We all need a savior. So not only are we all sinners, Jesus came to pay the price for that sin. That's why he died. And that if we put our faith, if we just believe that he died for us, the Bible says we're saved. He gives us the gift of his love. He gives us the gift of his grace and his forgiveness. If you're here and you've never personally said yes to God's grace, then all you got is church. But I'm telling you, there's so much more. And as we close today, I just want to pray for maybe a handful of you in this room. If you're here or you're watching online and you've never said yes to God's grace, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to lift a hand in this room or at home if you're watching. You can just pray this prayer in a moment that we're going to pray. But if you want to include it in this prayer and you want to say, Pastor Steve, will you pray for me? Man, I want to give my life to Jesus. Will you pray for me? I want to say yes to God's grace. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high, real high so I can see you. Come on, all over this room, no shame. But if you want to say yes to God's grace, I want you to lift a hand up real high. Thank you. I see a hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you up in the balcony. Thank you over here. Anybody else? Come on, lift it up and throw it up. I see two hands all the way in the back. Thank you. Thanks. Listen, the Bible says that if we'll just confess, if we'll like say it, that's like kind of what worship is. Like I'm going to say it. If you'll confess, if you'll say out of your mouth, God, I believe you're the Lord and I believe you died for me. If you'll believe in your heart, the Bible says that through that, man, something magical happens. We're saved. In that moment, God forgives us and he makes us his son or daughter. And so if you're here, you just lifted a hand, man, we're going to pray. I want to pray for you. I want you to pray this with me out loud. And so you're not in this thing alone, man. We're going to pray as a church body together. Come on, church. I'm telling you, there's nothing greater than when someone gives their life to Christ. And so with one loud, resounding voice, can we pray this? Every voice. And if you lifted a hand, I want you to pray this out of your guts, out of your heart. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me to save me, to rescue me, and to forgive me. I receive your grace. Forgive my sin and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank the Lord for about eight or, eight or nine people in here? Hey, listen, guys, man, listen. I want you to...